Hello, and welcome to another episode of the State of the Nova Nation. I'm Eugene Rapay. He's Chris Stanzial, and it's Friday. We don't usually have episodes on Friday. It's usually always Tuesday and Thursday for us. But when your recording makes you sound like a robot, you gotta readjust. And yeah, we could have slept on it and said, you know what, we'll be back on Tuesday. But when senior night happens, and when Tom Liebig drains a step back J on two DePaul defenders making a miss, you gotta talk about that. When Danny Grace nails a corner three, you gotta talk about that. And when Villanova blows out DePaul, you gotta talk about that for sure. And we got a bunch of other things to talk about in this Friday version of the State of the Nova Nation. The first ever episode on a Friday, I think. I don't even think we had one last year on a Friday. But here we are. It's Friday. We're hyped. We're pumped. We're pumped for the weekend. We want to get this started. And let's get right into it. Chris, before the recording made us sound like a robot, Villanova played DePaul on Wednesday night. And it was no contest whatsoever. The Wildcats destroyed the Blue Demons, defended home court. It was senior night. The Wells Fargo Center looked so packed, and everyone there in attendance got to see the Wildcats win 93-62. to Standout performances from Mikael Bridges, who had 27 points, was 9 for 12 on the floor. And then you had Jalen Brunson with 11 points, but he dished out 7 assists. Eric Pascal had 16. Phil Booth. He was back in action, and he had 14 points. We're going to talk about a little more about him. Amari Spellman also joined the double-digit club with 10 points, and it was just an overall dominating performance by the Cats as they forced 20 Blue Demon turnovers, and there was never a point in the game where you were like, man, DePaul might upset Nova. No fear whatsoever. Nothing like that scare that we had at the Pavilion last season when they came to town. It was just all Wildcats for 40 minutes all Villanova basketball, and they got a huge taste of that Philly special. Chris, what were your thoughts on this game? Just another ho-hum performance, I guess? Eh, sort of, but I, I was really impressed by how this team played at full capacity for the first time in God knows how long. I think it's it was the first time since the last DePaul game that they were fully healthy. Good to see this team back in action with everyone on board. But yeah, this game was a real snoozer. You could put one to sleep, but you know... You'll take these games. you like these games when, as a fan, complete blowout, no stress whatsoever. Everyone's clicking for the most part. I mean, Dante and Jalen had a little bit of some three-point struggles, but that's neither here nor there. I thought they both played A-OK games. Phil Booth returns. And then on top of that, you have two of the bench mob members scoring. <laughs> one on a, like you said, the fadeaway shot, and then one drill, nailing a three at the end. Just absolutely great to see, especially on senior night when they're the only, basically the bench ball is the only seniors on the team. So it was real nice to see. It really was. Yeah, Matt Kennedy had scored before, but for Danny Grace and Tom Liebig, they hadn't gotten their first career points yet. And to get it on senior night, what a way to just kind of close it all out. And it was nice to see them get their props. They were the only seniors, so big shout out and salute to Tom Liebig, Danny Grace, and Matt Kennedy. Clearly, they had a great night, and it was just a dominating win to send them off with a nice 31-point blowout of DePaul. For the Blue Demons, Max Juice, I'm not going to lie, he was pretty impressive. It kind of makes you wonder, why did he pick DePaul of all these places? <laughs> yeah, you don't think he's going to transfer, is he? I mean, I, I was shocked at how 
how well he played. I haven't really paid that much attention to the ball, and I, I don't think a lot of people have. I don't even think their fans have paid a lot of attention to the ball. But I was I was really impressed with how he came out, at least initially. I think he kind of faded down the stretch. He played a nice first half, that's for sure. Yeah, at one point he was like a leading Juco scorer. And then he chose the ball, transferred to DePaul, and has had a pretty nice season with them, averaging 17 points per game. He led the Blue Demons with 21 points. And then you had Marin Marich. He was the only other Blue Demon in double figures with 12 points. There isn't really much to say about this. Let's focus on the main points here. Villanova played perfectly wide to wire, forcing 20 turnovers. That defense looked lethal against DePaul, who could not hit anything from deep, could not take care of the ball, and also had no answer for Villanova on the other end. But Phil Booth, as I mentioned, first time the team was back at full strength. And Phil Booth looked pretty great. 14 points off the bench. Had a few rebounds. Had a nice assist. Chris, I don't know if it, it was just me, but I felt with him coming back and him playing well, not only did the fans get hyped to see him back, but when he was playing well and hitting his shots, taking smart shots and draining them, not only did the fans get hyped, but the team got hyped too. And you could just feel the energy flowing all across the Wells Fargo Center. And I think everyone was able to feed off of that. Yeah, I completely agree, especially in a game where there really wasn't that much energy going into it. I know with Villanova basically routing the ball wire to wire, having Phil come in, get the crowd a little more excited, and then he was hitting shots right off the bat. I think he missed his first one, but after that, started draining him, hit his free throws, his hand looks great. One of the, the questions I had proposed or one of the worries I had proposed last episode was how's Phil going to react coming back to a full game, playing with a uh, playing with a broken hand. Now he's back in action, and he's playing pretty well so far, shooting well, and that's that's all he really can hope for. He logged 16 minutes, and I know that J-Rod said that he was going to ease him back in, but I kind of loved the way that he just kind of attacked it. I felt very confident in his return, and this was a perfect game, as we mentioned last time, for him to return to. Playing DePaul, not exactly a tough opponent, bottom feeder in the conference. A good game, really, get back to the swing of things, playing in the rotation, running on the floor, running plays, playing defense. And he just was great, I thought. And it felt like he never really skipped a beat. And yeah, it's DePaul, but I thought he was fantastic. And next time you got to think, all right, we're not even going to pump the brakes on him anymore. We're not going to put the seatbelt on. We're not going to tighten the leash I think they could just let him go because the next opponent will be a tough Creighton Blue Jay squad and although we blew them out at home as we've mentioned before earlier in the show the CenturyLink Center is not a fun place to play in for road teams and they're going to look to make it tough but before we get into that one debate that people have had is who starts Phil Booth or Dante DiVincenzo and granted you know, whoever doesn't get the official name or the title as starter, they're going to be the sixth man. And as we know, Villanova has this quote-unquote sixth starter, so they're going to play big minutes anyway. But if you're Jay Wright, give Phil Booth the spot back, or do you go, Dante's been playing pretty well lately. We got, we're we going to give it to him, but don't worry, you're going to get your minutes too. Yeah, I'd, I'd give it a Booth. I liked what was going on early in the year, and I'm not saying – Dante has been playing bad that he doesn't deserve a starting spot. I think he's been playing pretty well, as exemplified by his near triple-double against Xavier. But you got to give it a boost. And we all know Jay really likes to favor seniority and all that. So giving it to Booth, the redshirt junior, over Dante, the redshirt sophomore, 
makes sense in that regard. And Dante just has more of a bench player, come off the bench player role type feel to him. He more of a spark plug, more of a energy guy, gives you minutes. And like, I hate to say cliches with that, but that's just, that's just the vibe you get when you watch Dante play. Phil's more of a lockdown defender. He's a great scorer, obviously. He's more of a steady player, and that's why I want him in the starting lineup. So get him out there against the top guys of the other team. Have him play some defense on there. And then, you know, if you, you fall behind, then you stick Dante in there to get you on a run, get some high-flowing uh, offense going there. But I, I like what was going on early in the year. Give Booth a starting job, and then let Dante get his plenty of minutes off the bench. Yeah, I kind of had a similar vibe towards this debate or this question that people have been tossing around. I think they're both great, but I feel that Phil Booth is just a little better defensively, and I would like that in a starter, considering how, you know, we already have so many options that can't score. And granted, Phil Booth can get his too, but I love it when Dante comes off the bench because, like you said, he's like a spark plug. He's an energy guy. So when teams are getting beaten up by the starting five and then they start switching guys in phil booth comes out or whoever else comes out and then dante comes in it's like oh great now we have to deal with this guy and dante is just a fantastic scorer coming off the bench we've seen him have such great performances and granted in this six starter role he's pretty much thrived in it and yeah you know either they're pretty much interchangeable and they both contribute very well but I just feel Booth's defense and what he can bring on that side of the ball and just being a little more sound and making not as many mistakes, I feel like that makes him a better value start over DiVincenzo. But that's not saying DiVincenzo hasn't been playing well. He's been fantastic during Booth's absence. And I think him coming off the bench is definitely where he thrives. It won't be long. It won't be long before he finally cracks the lineup permanently. But I do like his role as like that spark plug energy generator guy. And I think it would be great too, just being that reliable scoring threat. Kong Gillespie, you know, he gets buckets too, but he's not exactly as consistent on that end when it comes to maybe DiVincenzo. So when you have a big punch from DiVincenzo and then you have the two freshmen coming off the bench, you can, you can still have that nice sigh of relief knowing that there won't really be a lull in production. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. And like you said, Dante's going to get his minutes. It's not like this is like a huge issue. It's really just in name only. It's just on paper, Phil has the game start tick next to him instead of Dante. It really doesn't mean that much, I feel like. And and Dante will get his minutes next year. <laughs> He'll probably be, he's definitely going to be a starter next year. So it's not just pay your dues now. You're playing basically the same amount of minutes as the starters are. So just, just wait a year and you'll be right in the starting lineup. But just go with what Phil's starting, Dante on the, off the bench. No harm, no foul. I think that'll be great. For reference, Steven Chenzo did start against DePaul, and he logged eight points through 32 minutes of action, had four assists, four rebounds, and also had three steals. We'll keep an eye out to see what Jay does moving forward, or especially in the Creighton game. I think in the TV broadcast, it said that Booth would definitely be back, but you never know at this point. Things can change, and who knows? So next up for the Cats is a trip to Omaha, Nebraska, where they'll take on the Creighton Blue Jays this Saturday, tomorrow afternoon, at 2.30 p.m., Eastern time, at least. Creighton, it's one of the toughest places to play, but it's looked a little vulnerable as of lately. They lost that controversial game against Xavier, one-point loss. Not a lot of people were happy with that. But then... 
They got beaten up by Marquette, and not by Marcus Howard or Andrew Rousey, but some guy off the bench named Sakar Annam, who had the game of his life and pulled off an unlikely late-game comeback against the Jays. But other than that, the Blue Jays have been great at home, and their fans are known to show up, make it loud, make it crazy, make it poppin'. Do you see Villanova succumbing to the noise and the fireworks of the CenturyLink Center with a big game from Marcus Foster, let's say, or maybe Kyrie Thomas, you know? What, what, do, you, what do you think is going to happen? No, I don't see them losing, but this is a very, very tricky game. Playing at CenturyLink is always a very tough task. Creighton has such a great home court advantage, but I just feel that Villanova is playing a little too well right now. I think that a full strength would fill Booth back. I think they'll be fine. But, yeah, I, I just want to see this team get off to a great start on the road. So kind of similar to how they did against Xavier. Take the crowd out of it early, and I think they'll be A-OK. I remember in our preview show way back in October, I had mentioned that this was going to be a tricky game. Creighton just always seems to give us trouble at CenturyLink. I remember a few years ago when, when Creighton was pretty bad, they took us to, I believe it was, oh, I don't know if it was overtime or not, but it was right on the brink of overtime, and then I believe Arch hit a clutch shot. Last year, they played us tough the entire game until Jalen absolutely went off and hit some ice-cold shots at the end, and that was a pretty big game at the time. I think Creighton was ranked. So I see Creighton giving us some trouble early, and me and you were discussing this off-air, and we were in general agreement. Creighton gives us trouble early, but I think we'll pull away maybe around five to seven minutes left and kind of ice the game from there. Last time Villanova and Creighton played, it was at Wells Fargo Center, and the Wildcats just absolutely shot the lights out from deep. I don't think it's going to be that crazy. While it might be a little closer, I think Villanova wins this one pretty comfortably. Two guys you have to watch for for Creighton are especially Marcus Foster. We know what he's capable of. He's capable of going off, scoring from almost anywhere. Kyrie Thomas is a two-way guard who excels on defense, who's kind of like their Mikhail Bridges. He's taking that big Mikhail Bridges jump on the offensive side, and he's really come to his own. Then there's Jacob Epperson, who barely did anything against Villanova. He had his red shirt burned, I think, the game before they last played each other. But now he's really he's getting better with each game. He's not there yet. He's not getting a crazy amount of minutes. But over the last couple of games, he's really looked pretty good, especially against Marquette, where he scored 14 points, didn't miss a single shot in just eight minutes of play. He was kind of a no-show against Nova, but seeing him get a little more comfortable out there and how he's grown a little bit, he might have a little more of an impact this time around. But I I just don't think, even with him, that Creighton will be able to topple Villanova at home. Granted, who knows? I We've seen Villanova have a tough time on the road, but I don't think that this will be a game that Villanova loses. The Ken Palm has them as a 74% chance to win. And I like those chances. And I think the Wildcats will take down the Blue Jays tomorrow afternoon. Yep, I'm on the same boat there. And it's funny because Creighton's only win in their past four games has been against a D2 team. And it was, it, granted, it was at home. It was Bemidji State. I don't know exactly how you pronounce that, but they won 94-46. to 46. And then in between those games, you had the controversial loss against Xavier in the game before that, and then you had the two bad losses to Marquette and Butler. So they're not playing all that great. So, And with Villanova coming off a huge win against Xavier and the absolute beatdown of the Paul, now they're at full strength. I just don't see Creighton putting together the breaks there to – 
that potentially pull off the upset. Not to mention, I just don't think Villanova is going to drop another game. I think they know what's at stake here. And if they really want that one seed, they can't afford to lose another game. Granted, a sole outright regular season title might be out of the cards. But if Xavier loses one more time and they finish the season tied, Villanova's going to be a one seed for the Big East tournament. And that's a pretty big deal. According to tiebreakers and all that, the next tiebreaker after the conference record, which obviously they'd be tied if they're sharing the title, would be the head-to-head record. And seeing how Nova has swept Xavier in both meetings, they would be awarded the number one seed for the Big East tournament. And that's a very comfortable spot for Villanova, who's been there for the last four years. Look out for that. I just don't think Villanova is going to drop one at Creighton. And, of course, we'll have two more games after that to close out the season. We'll get to those later. If they want a shot at the one seed, which I'm pretty sure they do, and it's something that they do want, or a shot at the regular season title, they're not going to lose another one. And I'm sure they're also thinking about how this can potentially affect their March NCAA tournament standing so they can't lose any more regular season games here. Yep, especially when Xavier closes out their season with uh, Providence at home and then at the Paul. So I don't think Xavier's losing for the rest of the year. So every game for Villanova is paramount. Not that it wasn't before, but if you're like you said, if you really want to go for that Big East title or the share of the Big East title, you, you can't drop can't drop any more games. Now, as we transition away from the men's side, we're going to look at the two women's basketball games coming up this weekend. We got Providence tonight at 7 p.m. And then we have Creighton, which will be senior night and the last regular season game of the season for the Lady Cats on Sunday afternoon. These are two teams that we actually started off conference play playing against. So for with Providence, Villanova did beat them on the road at Alumni Hall. It required a crazy fourth quarter comeback, but they were able to do it, winning 63-55. Chris, this time around, how do you see it unfolding? Do you think it'll be something similar? something different or do you think Villanova is just kind of on a tear right now or just looking to bounce back from those two losses that they took against the two top teams that we'll see them kind of thrash the Friars yeah so kind of similar to the men's team Villanova's jostling for position in the big for the Big East tournament this weekend and they're currently sitting one game behind Creighton so you kind of need to win this game against Providence if you want to have a shot at that three seed. They're currently sitting in fourth, Creighton's at third, 11-5, Villanova fourth, 10-6. and six. So yeah, you're going to have to be Providence. And like you said, they're coming off two bad, not bad losses, but they're coming off two losses against teams that you were supposed to lose to on the road. Coming home, season's winding out. You're jostling for position in the Big East. You want to improve your standings. You want to improve your t- chances for March. I say they win this one pretty handily. They won on the road at Providence earlier in the year, and Providence is sitting at 3-13. They're not a particularly good team. I think Villanova should handle this one relatively easily. Yeah, Providence isn't exactly doing that well. They're 10-18 overall, and like you said, they're ninth in the Big East. They just recently broke up a crazy losing streak that had been plaguing them. They've lost eight of their last 10 games, so it just hasn't been looking that good for them right now. With Providence, there's really two players that you really need to watch for, and that's, well, first off, Javon Nojic, who's one of the better scorers in this conference, and she's nicknamed Yo-Yo. She can score from almost anywhere, inside, outside, and she's automatic from the free throw line. Does a little bit of everything for the Friars. And then there's Maddie Jolin, a point guard who just kind of is very complimentary, nice scorer, can also sling it from deep, score inside. Not as great as at the free throw line, 
but she gets the job done, and she is a great rebounder too. But overall, they really only have two weapons, and they're both guards, and we've seen Villanova thrive against teams that are just kind of guard-centric. We've seen Villanova beat them. I'd like to know if Adriana Hahn is healthy. We saw that she was not available in their last game with an injury, so maybe she's healthy and ready to go. So we'll keep an eye out for that. But then we got Creighton on Sunday, and this should be an interesting one because, like you said, Creighton is currently sitting in third, and this one would be integral for some pole position in the Big East tournament seating. When the Wildcats took on Creighton, it was at, it was on the road. It was at DJ Sokol Arena, and Villanova just got ran out of the gym, lost by 15. It wasn't really a pretty game. This time around, it's at home. It's the last game of the regular season. It's senior day. What can we expect from this matchup? So what can we expect from this matchup? Well, Creighton's rolling with Jalen Agnew. Last game against Villanova, she shot 7 of 11 from the field and 4 of 6 from deep. So if you're going to have any shot of winning this game, you're going to have to obviously contain her. But like you said, this is going to be senior night, senior day, whatever it is, whatever the official designation is. You got to come out hot. You got to come out swinging. This should be an emotional game, big-time game. Johnson for that 3C because you don't know how exactly the 1 and 2 seats are going to fall in the Big East. Right now, DePaul and Marquette are sitting at 13-3 and three each. So hopefully for Villanova's sake, because they match up better against DePaul, DePaul ends up as that 2 seed, they end up as the 3 seed, and then you can potentially play them in the semifinals. So that's what you're kind of hoping for there. But with regards to this game, if you control Agnew's production, and even Audrey Faber, she put up 19 points herself against Villanova last game. Kind of control those two, and you shoot well from deep like they always do, like Villanova should do. They should be A-OK, especially with this game being at home and it being senior day. Yeah, Faber absolutely torched Villanova. So did Agnew. Agnew is kind of like their three-point specialist, and Faber is that forward that we've seen Villanova struggle against, that ideal kind of forward that can rumble inside, take off from deep, play great defense, get grab boards that kind of forward that Villanova has just struggled against whenever they have to go against a star player like that. And when Creighton has all these solid pieces around them, like Agnew or Olivia Elger, who's coming off the bench, didn't get to play in the beginning of the season because she was injured. She came in, gave Villanova a tough time, provided some quality minutes. But so far, she's played very well off the bench, just averaging over 10 points per game. And then there's Sydney Lamberty, their point guard, who does a little bit of everything. She scores, rebounds, dishes out assists. She's kind of like a, an all-around person who can just kind of fill the gaps. She can take off from deep. She can score inside. And just overall, just a tough player to play against in the guard position. We saw Villanova get rocked by 15 at DJ Sokol Arena. But this team is seems a lot wiser, seems a lot tougher, and seems a lot more experienced and better than they were back in January when they are reaching the end of their streak of being ranked. It looks like they've learned a lot since then. How do you see this game playing out? We see what each team is capable of doing. How do you think that this will play out on senior day? Do you think Villanova takes home, puts a bow on the regular season, or do they get disappointed again and lose another one to Creighton? No, I, I think I think they come away victorious here. I think this is the perfect way to end the season at home, senior day, all that fun stuff. Can't stress it enough. I think I think it plays big into these matchups, especially ones that are as closely contested as these two teams are, as, as equally talented as they are. So I think that's kind of the difference maker there. Give Villanova the dub. 
And I don't know how the tiebreakers will break out, but I, I think if they do win, I think they'll get the three seed. I'm not 100% sure, but hopefully they're sitting as a three seed, the Paul sitting as a two, and then you can hopefully get another chance at the Paul in the Big East semifinals and maybe play for a Big East championship. Yeah, right now Creighton will play Georgetown this morning at 11 a.m., and that should be a pretty winnable game for them. I think Villanova does pull it out too. I feel like senior night and just having that bitter taste in your mouth from seeing that beat you, knocked you out of the polls, it's going to make you want to go in and go hard. And I think Villanova does get that win, gets to go into the Big East tournament with a nice resume, a nice regular season job, and then who knows from there. This would be a pretty quality win. This is one of those games that I would say Creighton, I don't know if you'd call them a bubble, but it's like one of those teams that have just been considered as a tournament team. They're not exactly on the edge there, but this would be a nice solid pickup for that resume. Audrey Faber, you got to totally contain her. Villanova's going to get their work cut out for them, but they can't let Jalen Agnew take off again from deep and get hot or start off with a hot hand. Otherwise, it's going to be a very long day for the Cats. I think they get it done. It's senior day, senior magic. And when you have Alex Lewin, Megan Quinn, and Jana Tucker, they're going to try to go out with a win. They're going to try to go out with a bang, and I don't think they're going to take another loss. Neither do I. I think they'll finish the season strong, avenge those two losses from the previous weekend, and put a nice little bow tie and at the end of a great regular season that hopefully continues through late March. Once again, the Providence game tips off tonight at Jake Nevin Fieldhouse at 7 p.m., and then on Sunday, it's senior day, and that game will be tipping off at 2 p.m. The Providence game, you can watch it on the Big East Digital Network if you're not going to be there. And as for the Creighton game, it's another FS1 appearance for the Lady Cats. And they'll get to close out their regular season on national television, which is going to be nice. Against a tough Creighton game, it should be a very, very good game. Both teams are about even. We'll see who comes out on top. I think Villanova will avenge it, and so does Chris. We'll be keeping an eye out for both of those games, as well as the men's Creighton game which will be on Saturday. So a nice nice weekend in Villanova Hoops. Before we dive into Mailbag, I just want to give a shout-out to Ryan Archie Diacono. The Arch had a triple-double, his first career triple-double. I don't know if he had one in high school, but he never had one in college. But it's always fun to see a triple-double. And he went in against the Philadelphia Sixers G League affiliate, the Delaware 87ers. He had... 15 points, 11 boards, and 11 assists for the Windy City Bulls. And apparently it's the second triple-double in franchise history. So Arch making moves, making money moves. Think this boosts his 2K rating? That's a good question. I think he's currently listed as a 66 last time I checked. And maybe this will boost him to like a 67. So let's open the mailbag. As always, you can tweet us at S-O-N-N-Pod with your questions and anything you want us to discuss. And we'll talk about them on the show. You can also leave your questions and anything else in the comment section of a podcast thread. First question is from our guy, Jerry Quinn. Shout out to Jerry for recommending a GoFundMe page for our technical issues. Yeah, it's a bit a little frustrating, especially yesterday morning. I was going crazy trying to get it to work before work, and I couldn't get it to not sound like a robot in time for the office. He wanted to know, I guess we talked about this a little bit, but first, evaluate Booth's return to the lineup. And then two, the team's performance without Booth since his injury. Well, we definitely touched on Bobo's performance earlier in the show. I thought he played pretty well in limited time. 
shooting well, hitting open shots, making smart plays. Thought he played fantastic. And the second part was, was what exactly? Evaluate the team's performance without without him? Yeah, but without when he was injured. When he was injured? Yeah, I mean, it was certainly not as, not as good. I, you could tell they were missing him, especially on the defensive side. And even offensively, too. I felt like those smart plays that you were used to this team making throughout the year weren't there as much because I, I think Bill Lewis is a very smart player. I also felt that the ball movement was a little slow on the offensive side. I don't know if that was just because the team hit a lull or if it was actually because of his absence. But whatever it was, the team slowed down a bit. But you know, obviously, they lost the two games against St. John's and Providence. Providence game probably happened with Bill Booth. Yeah, maybe not the St. John's one. But you could tell the team slowed down a bit. But I, I think now that he's back, they'll just take off now. And I think they'll be fine. Yeah, I think having Phil Booth back definitely helps the team, especially on the defensive side. I, we've always talked about how he's been a little bit under, underrated on that side of the ball, or at least I felt that. He's definitely one of the team's better defenders right after Mikhail Bridges. So having him back helps with off-ball and on-ball D. And he just knows the system a little bit better, so I feel like we'll have less hiccups on that side of the ball. And also just... Bench-wise, for a while, who was coming off the bench? It was just our freshman. Uh, having him back definitely helps with the bench and helps alleviate the stress in some parts of the game. So I think once he gets a full helping of minutes or once he's back to whatever his role is, whether it's starting or non-starting, it'll definitely put a lot less stress on Colin Gillespie and Demir Cosby Roundtree to provide quality minutes off the bench whether it's DiVincenzo coming off along with them or whether or not it's Booth. So there's going to be a little more production on that side of the ball. And he's just another valuable shooter. He's a good shooter. He's a good scorer. He takes smart shots. He's not looking to be like the top guy who's going to take 15 shots a night, but he can get buckets when he wants to. And when he shoots, he's definitely a threat for it to go in. So having him back definitely helps on both sides of the ball. And it's another veteran. And as Jay Wright's talked before, he's one of the most respected players on the team. The team loves him. The team looks at, takes his word as gospel, and he's viewed as a hero for his performance during that 2016 run. Not only, yeah, sure, the 20-point game was nice, especially the top button all off, but just playing hurt throughout that whole season, that whole run, definitely got a lot of cred from his team, a lot of props, so it's always good to have Philly B back. Next question is from Last One's Pick. In this situation... Nova loses early in the tourney. Who beat them? And I'm assuming by early, he's definitely referring to the round that shall not be named. Well, we're definitely getting Kentucky and the St. Mary's as our 8-9 matchup. So one of those two teams, obviously. I think that's a little big. I, I, apparently, like I thought St. Mary's was like top 15 like a week ago. And now all of a sudden, they're, they're an 8-9 seed according to Joey Brackets over at ESPN. So I don't get that. And as I, I've been saying it, for weeks now that Kentucky will be our eight seed. I'm convinced. So no, ma no matter what their record is, they'll be our eight. It's one of those two teams. Just looking around at some of the other eight, nine teams in Joey Brackett's bracket. He's got St. Mary's, obviously. Just They just have to be in our region. With Arkansas, 
Alabama, Seton Hall. I just don't think Seton Hall. I don't think any Big East team will be in our 8-9 bracket. I just don't see that happening. Bama, they do have the young guns with Colin Sexton and John Petty. Then over in the other regions, you have Creighton, Texas A&M, and Miami, TCU. TCU is a little scary. TCU is a little scary because they start off the season very hot. But uh, if we had to pick, it's going to be St. Mary's because trolls. Troll, 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 troll. (laughs) Yes, yes, of course. And we obviously had the history with them in 2010, losing to to the Australian Matthew Delvadova led St. Mary's team that beat Villanova in the round of 32 as a 10 seed when Villanova was a two. So you obviously got they, his St. Mary's has history on their side as well. The other thing I want to bring up is uh, I thought about this yesterday, and I and I was going to bring it up. I realized it after we tried recording yesterday. But remember in that top 16 reveal when the committee guy was like, oh, yeah, the committee tries to protect number one seeds, blah, blah, blah. Where was our protection last year? What was that? Where was it then? Um, there was none. That's the thing. It's, it's unbelievable. They always claim that they protect ones. But, but when it comes to the Wichita States and the Villanovas, it's, it's, the protection isn't as big. I mean, granted, Wichita State clearly got boned in 2014 that was as blatant as i've ever seen it and yeah villanova kind of got hosed with with wisconsin as the eight but we also had the chance virginia tech being potentially beaten wisconsin and if i feel like if it had broken that way i think villanova's fine and then but obviously i loved how they paired duke with us too at the same time because that was obviously the dream matchup for the committee at msg but yeah it's so weird how they preach protect one seeds, protect one seeds, just like they did with UNC in our national championship year. But when it comes to maybe not the blue blood, the lower end blue buds or the mid majors that have a really good year, it just gets all thrown out the window. Yeah. There's probably an asterisk that goes along with protection for one seeds. And the asterisk says the fine print reads, it does not apply to non power five teams because yeah, like you said, Wichita state probably got shafted the worst out of any one seed in the last decade. And we did not get any help either with a four seed disguised as a number eight. But what do we know? We're not on the committee. But we'll see in a few weeks where it goes. But for now, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening to the State of Nova Nation. This concludes our special Friday broadcast. We hope you all subscribe, if you haven't already, to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iTunes, or Podomatic. And please check back at viewhoops.com. We will have the goods throughout the weekend. And you can follow the website on social media at viewhoops. That's good for Twitter and Instagram. You can follow me, Eugene Repay, at eRepay5. And you can follow me, Chris Danziel, at the Stance Man on Twitter. Nation, happy Friday. Enjoy the weekend, and we'll be back at it on Tuesday.